I've entitled this message, The Child Born, The Son Given. One of the things that I love about Christmas is that men, whether they believe or not, or not are made to at least think about the fact that one named Jesus of Nazareth was born into this world. Jesus Christ. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It is impossible to determine what day it was upon which the Lord came into this planet. But he was born. An exact calendar date. And this is so significant that our time is measured by before his birth and after his birth. Think of the significance of this one. Every day before the day of his birth is called B.C., before Christ. Every day after this day that he was born is called A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Time is measured before and after the day of his birth. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now notice in our text, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The son was not born. That's very significant. The son was not born. He has no birth date because he is the eternal son. The second person of the blessed trinity. Listen to this scripture from John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. He didn't begin in the beginning. He already was. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God as a distinct person from God. And the Word was God. The same was. That's His eternal isness. The same was in the beginning with God. He is called, in the scripture, the only begotten son. The men, I think this is the way you say it, the monogamous. The only begotten son. And this begetting is not an event that took place that day. In Psalm 110, God says with regarding to the only begotten son... This is my son. This day, it's an eternal day. It's an eternal begetting. This day have I begotten thee. 
Now this begetting of the only begotten Son is not, I repeat, an event of time. It's a fact. Irrespective of time, He, the Son, is the sole representative of the being and the character of Him who gave Him. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son unto us, a son is given. This one is, and I love, you know, I've, I've been excited about trying to bring this message because it's so glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. This one who is the word the eternal Son given, the Word was made flesh. That is the child that was born. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this one we're speaking of, the child that was born on that particular day some 2,000 years ago, but the son who's given, he's the eternal son of God. He is also called in the scripture in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, the lamb slain, listen, from the foundation of the world. Before the beginning, before the creation, Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And for him to be slain in time, he had to come to this planet as a man. The child born is the eternal son who is given, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world who came to this planet to die on a cross. Would to God that you and I will be enabled to see the glory of that. Now, how he would be born was prophesied in the scripture. Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Christ? Of course I do. You see, if he was not virgin born, that means he would be of the seed of Adam. That means he'd be like me and you. He'd be a sinful man like me and you. But he was born of the virgin. And the scripture says his name should be called in that same passage, Emmanuel. We just heard that. Which being interpreted is God with us. Not God against us. God with us. Where he would be born was prophesied in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, in the town of Bethlehem. When he would be born was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, where we read of the 70 times 7, the 490 years from the time I'm writing, the Christ will be born. When the men of the east came, the wise men, 
It was because they had read this prophecy. The time has come. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? This is when the angel first appeared to Mary. Probably a 16-year-old girl, a virgin. She had not known a man. And the angel appears to her in verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, much graced is the word. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Thou hast found grace with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The angel had not yet appeared to Joseph. Turn with me to Matthew 1. Now, can you imagine how Joseph must have felt when Mary came to him and said, I'm with child of the Holy Ghost. You reckon, anybody believed, you reckon he believed her? <laughs> of course he didn't. Of course he didn't. But now the angel appears to him in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now he didn't believe it was child with the Holy Ghost. He believed she'd been unfaithful to him. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately, to divorce her in a, in a way which... She wouldn't be brought to shame. He was a good man, so to speak. He didn't want to put her to an open shame because of this. But while he thought on these things, trying to figure out what to do, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary for thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. What a glorious statement. Here's why he came. He came to save his people. Those the Father gave him 
from before the foundation of the world, his people. He came not to offer them salvation, not to make them savable, not to give them the option of being saved. He came to save his people from their sins. And that's what I need saved from my sins. Now all this was done, verse 22, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, Isaiah seven fourteen, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Turn back to Luke 2. Let's read about his birth. Verse 1, and it came to pass in those days, Luke 2, verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Now, this is under Roman rule. Uh, wherever you were born, you had to go back there and pay your taxes. Now, they were living in Nazareth at the time, but now they have to go back to Bethlehem. Remember, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 said he would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary and his, his espoused wife being great with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, a stable with the smell of manure in the air. Don't you love the way the Son of God was born? How important was it, him, was it to him to be born as a human king? Not at all. He was born in a stable, in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And they... We're in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. I would have been too. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now that's talking about peace with God. I've heard people say, well, that's talking about they wanted peace among men and goodwill. Well, that's talking about peace with God. 
and God's goodwill toward men that he would send a Savior. Now, go back to Isaiah chapter 9. This is the announcement of his birth. We were told how he would be born as a virgin. We were told when he would be born. We were told the purpose for him being born. But now we have, in this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, his birth announcement. Now look in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Who is the us? We can't know the meaning of this passage of Scripture if that is not determined. Who is the us? Of which the prophet said, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Who is the us? If there is a place called hell, and there is, make no mistake about this, God is righteous, he will reward the righteous and punish the wicked. And everybody deep down knows that. If there is a place called hell and the people that are in that awful place are included in the us, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, it didn't do them any good at all, did it? It was meaningless to them. And if you want to take that and carry it to its logical extent, that means salvation is by works. Because the difference between the saved and the lost was not the child born and the son given, but what they did, what one did that another did not do. That is a message of salvation by works. Now, who is the us? If I said the elect, those given to him by the Father before time began, I'd be telling the truth. If I said those who believe and repent, I'd be telling the truth. If I said all in that group who Call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If I said that is who is meant by the us, that would be the truth. But here's the us I personally like the best. 1 Timothy 1.15 gives us this promise. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul said, I am the chief. Who is the us? Sinners. 
sinners. Are you a sinner? And I'm talking about in the scriptural sense of the word. Will you see that in and of yourself, you are nothing but sin, period. Are you a sinner? You're included in that us. You can say, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. That's the same us of which Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. The son given became the child that was born. Don't you love the way it's stated? The son's given. The son wasn't born. The son's eternal. This is speaking of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God. He wasn't born. He's the eternal son. But the child is born. This speaks of his perfect humanity, the two natures of Christ. Somebody says, isn't him being born of a virgin just kind of religious superstition? Well, you can call it that if you want, but it's absolutely necessary for him to do anything for me. You see, if he was born of Adam, he would have Adam's nature. He would have the sinful nature of Adam, and he couldn't do anything for me. He couldn't do anything for you, but thank God he was born of a virgin. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. That's who conceived him. That's what the scripture says. The Son given is the child born. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the Son being given and the child being born tell us of the significance and meaning of him being given and him being born. Now the next thing our text says with regard to this child born and son given, look with me in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, and the government shall be upon his Shoulder. This is not talking about government as we know it. How do we know government? Well, the first thing we think of is a democracy. Um, with an executive branch, the president, the legislative branch, the Congress, the judicial branch, the Supreme Court, with a balance of powers, so no one has too much power with this government there's no balance of powers. He said, all power is given unto me. He has all power. You know what that means? That means right now, as you and I are thinking about this, we are in his hand. Won't you accept Jesus as your personal Savior? Not. 
will he accept you. All power is given unto him because the government is upon his shoulder. We're not talking about an, autocr an autocratic government, a dictatorship. We're not talking about authoritarian government. We're not talking about communists. We're not talking about socialists. We're not talking about martial law. The word government in our text means the rule, the dominion. He has the government, all rule and power on his shoulders. Psalm 115.3, where's your God, David? Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That's Jesus of Nazareth. The one who does whatsoever he pleases to do. The absolute sovereignty of the child born and the son given. Now here's what this means. When the world was created, he willed it into existence. Here's what this means about everything that's taking place right now in time. Everything that happens without exception is his will being done. The government is upon his shoulders. Whatever's going through your mind right now, I love thinking about this. There might be somebody objecting to this. He's in control of that. Could be you're under his judgment and he's left you to yourself. Somebody else is rejoicing. Oh, I'm glad he's that way. He's in control of that. He's Lord. Salvation is his will being done. If you're saved, it's because he willed it. Amen. You know that so if you're saved. He is the Lord. He doeth according to his will. Now, let's go on reading. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name, his name, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His name, Jesus. I love his name. I love to say it. I love to think. I love the way it sounds. Jesus. Emmanuel, the Word, the Son of David, the Son of Mary, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, the Christ, the I Am, the name he gave Moses from the bush, I Am that I Am. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Jehovah Raha, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Tsekinu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Mekadishkim, the Lord who sanctifies. His name is wonderful. 
He's wonderful in his person. He's God. He's perfect humanity. The God-man, he's wonderful in his suretyship. When he stood before time began and accepted me from his father and took complete responsibility for my salvation, everything God requires of me, he looks to him for. He was wonderful in his conception. Isn't it amazing to think of the eternal God going into a womb and live there for nine months? And how wonderful he is in his birth, as we just read. How wonderful he is in his life, the perfect life of the man Christ Jesus. He kept God's law perfectly. How wonderful he is in his death, the fact that he could die in the first place. Did God-man die? How'd that happen? I don't know, but he did. And he's wonderful in his death because of the accomplishments of his death. By his death, he put away the sins of his people. They are no more wonderful in his resurrection. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. When he was raised from the dead, every believer was justified before God. Sinless, having never sinned. That's what justification means. What about the sins I've committed? He put them away. If you're one of his, they're gone. You stand before God without guilt. Wonderful in his intercession as he makes intercession for his people right now, praying for me. Wonderful in his second return. When every eye is going to see him, his name shall be called Wonderful. The next thing he is called, his name shall be called Counselor, the Wonderful Counselor. Now this is not... uh, Speaking of what we think of when we think of a counselor or a therapist. Human counselors may give good advice. They may give bad advice. But understand this. The Lord's not a counselor like that. He's not a life coach. His counsel is his decree. My counsel shall stand. And I will do. Oh, my pleasure. The scripture says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Now here, this child who is born and this son who is given is the wonderful counselor. Now look what it says next. That means everything is his will being done. He is the counselor. Look what it says next. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Jesus Christ is God omnipotent. Jesus Christ is God. He's not like God. No. He is God, the mighty God. That holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, God our Savior. You see, we confess what Thomas did when he bowed before him and said, What? My Lord and my God. Now this is something that every believer believes. They believe that Jesus Christ is is God. You know, even the thief believed that. 
He hadn't been a believer very long when he was nailed to that cross. And when he saw his other thief cursing Christ, he said, don't you fear God? He knew that Jesus Christ was God. Don't you fear God seeing you're in the same condemnation? And we're getting what we deserve. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Lord, he knew he was the Lord. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. You're not going to fail. Whatever you do is successful because you're God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Look at our text once again. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Now here, Jesus Christ is called by his name, the Everlasting Father. Now somebody says, explain that to me. I can't do that. You just hear the word and bow. Didn't he say, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father? That's what the Lord said. He said, I and my Father are one. Should he be addressed as the everlasting Father? He's separate from the Father, a distinct person from the Father. He's the Son. I reckon he should, but still, here's what it says. And this is the reverence we have for him. He's equal to God because he is God. And all we're ever going to see of the Father is the Son. And then we read, he shall be called the Prince of Peace. That is why the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest on, on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. God is called the God of Peace. And Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Now, what's that mean? I mean, he's given all these glorious titles, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and then the Prince of Peace. Peace. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, we read these words. Speaking of this wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Father, having made peace by the blood of his cross. When Jesus Christ died, God was at complete peace with everybody he died for. God was completely satisfied with what he did on Calvary's tree. He is the Prince of Peace, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And if you go on a couple of verses down, here's what this peace is. Every believer is presented, because he's the Prince of Peace and made peace, Every believer, Colossians 1, 22, every be believer is holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. That's how he is the prince of peace. 
He made my peace with God. Have you made your peace with God? No, Christ made my peace with God. He is our peace. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered for our offenses. That's why he died. He died for sin. My sin was taken from me. And he bore it in his own body on the tree. That's why he died. He wasn't a victim. He wasn't a martyr. He wasn't simply leaving us a good example. He died as a sin atoning savior. He can't fail. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. If you're justified, that means you're not guilty. If the judge says he's justified, he's justified. You know what that means? He didn't do it. He's He's not guilty. He's perfect before me. Therefore, Having been justified, by faith we have peace. Peace. That peace that passes all understanding. That peace that can't even be intellectually grasped. The peace of God that passes all understanding. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what Paul calls in Romans chapter 15 verse 13. The joy and peace of believing. Believing the gospel. Now let's briefly look at verse 17. um, Verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. Of the increase of his government. And peace, there shall be no end. You see, this is a government, an absolute sovereign rule that will never have an ending time. You know, empires have come and gone over the centuries. They always have an end. This one will too. If the Lord doesn't come back, somebody's going to take the United States' place. Uh, There's always an end of every human government, of every human rule. But this government... There will be no end. And there will be no end of his peace. When time is no more, every believer will still have the perfect peace of justification. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. And this is why this is so sure The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's the one doing this. That is why it is so sure. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And listen to this. If you believe on him, I don't care who you are. If you believe on him, you're saved. If you trust this one described in this passage of scripture as your salvation, you're saved. 
You're saved. You can't get any more loved. You can't get any more accepted. You can't get any more perfect before God than you are in this one because of his greatness. Now, the Lord has given us beautiful music to enjoy. I think we all enjoy and appreciate beautiful music. And the scriptures even speak of music in heaven and instruments in heaven. The harpers harping with their harps in John's vision in the book of Revelation. And I've always enjoyed the scripture, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, that is sung to Handel's Messiah. Unto us a child is born. And before our closing hymn this morning, I've asked Drew to play this song for us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son.